Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Every second Easter Sunday, we get this text, this Thomas text. And if, like me, you grew up in a biblical, literalist tradition, these words bring over you either a wave of guilt or a wave of pride. If it's guilt, it's guilt for being like doubting Thomas and not believing that God can do what you need God to do in your life, that God can take away what you need removed from your life, or even that God can love, love you because, not despite, of who you are. And if it's pride, it might send you into the erroneous belief that, as I did at one point in my Christian life, that we served or believe in an invisible God. So if I believed without seeing God, although in reality, like really deep down, I really did wonder what God looked like. Like I wanted to imagine that person sort of, you know, the white beer sitting on a throne with clouds and probably a lot of um, angelic voices all around. Nonetheless, I thought, well, I believe without seeing, so I must be among the blessed ones. Yet maybe, you know, just maybe, Jesus did not say this to throw shade at Thomas because he doubted. Maybe Jesus meant to share something much, much deeper than that. And maybe it has more to do with community than with awarding those who do not question or doubt. Join me in prayer as we explore this text this morning. Let us pray. Loving parent, a week after the celebration of Easter, we are too quick to forget what it means to be a people of the resurrection. Bring clarity into our minds so that we understand today's message. As we hear and believe, may we go out from this place to share with others so that they too believe. As the wounds of your body become exposed, may those who see them be reminded of your unending love. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your eyes, O God, our strength. Amen. So it is interesting that Thomas gets awarded this bad reputation for not believing. If we do not read the entire chapter, we may fall into the temptation of thinking, well, blessed are the other disciples, for they believed without seeing. However, from Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene, we see that it is not just Thomas that doubted. From the first verses, we see that Mary went to the tomb and saw that it was empty. She runs to tell Peter and the disciple who Jesus loved that the body was taken. So if you notice here, there is no mention that any of them believed Jesus had resurrected. Simon Peter and the disciple, the other disciple, run, run to the tomb to verify that Mary wasn't lying. The other disciple gets there first, 
and without needing to go all the way into the tomb, verifies that, well, in fact, Mary wasn't lying. There's no Jesus in there. Now, Peter comes right after him, and Peter needs to go all the way in to see and believe. He doesn't just stop at the entrance. As if just seeing it from the outside wasn't enough. Maybe he also needed to touch something in there to believe. The other disciple enters the tomb after Peter, and scripture tells us he saw and believed. But don't get confused here. It is not that he believed Jesus had resurrected. Instead, he believed that Mary wasn't lying. As scripture continues to say, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then we enter into a signed reading, which happens later that same day. Most of the disciples had locked themselves in a room because they fear they were going to be persecuted too. This hints that maybe they didn't believe Mary when she told them about her encounter with Jesus. So they're all together, and suddenly, Jesus appears among them and says, peace be with you. An expression that goes beyond the greeting that we normally do Sundays, this um, expression addressed their fear, their anxiety, their unbelief. This expression washed over them calmness, is meant to bring them to the moment. The disciples rejoice when they see Jesus, but Jesus doesn't just say, peace be with you. Jesus also shows them the wounds in his body. So the disciples' joy may have something to do that they thought the wounds actually confirmed that it was Jesus, in fact, who was speaking to them. And yet still they did not understand what the resurrection meant for them or the world. So once again, Jesus says, peace be with you, a second time grasping now not only the attention of the disciples, but also ours as readers. As Abba God sent me, so I'm sending you, he says. The almost in relationship to the Genesis creation story, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so here we have something new being birthed, receiving the breath of life and being guided by the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, for Thomas, he wasn't present. And hearing his fellow disciples share their story wasn't enough for him to believe. Like Peter, who had to walk all the way into the tomb to believe Mary. And similar to Mary, who had to hear her name be called out to believe. The difference is that Thomas openly and unapologetically, really, expresses, I'll never believe it without putting my finger in the nail marks and my hand in the spear wound. An extremely honest claim. 
Eight days later, the disciples are gathered again and still in a locked room, still not understanding what the resurrection meant, still afraid, still anxious, still hiding. Once again, Jesus comes into the room and stands before them saying, peace be with you. Again, addressing those very real feelings and turns to Thomas and says, take your finger and examine my hands. Put your hand into my side. This into means your entire self into my side. Don't persist in your unbelief, but believe. What an intimate scene. Having someone explore the depths of your wounds. But maybe just as Thomas, that is exactly what brought you to believe in the resurrected Christ. For how else do we witness a resurrected Christ today? If we think back to our communion liturgy, there is a part in which the clergy member officiating communion states, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gather here on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by Christ's blood. If we claim to be the body of Christ, the same body that manifested before Mary and later the disciples, the same body that bore wounds in the open for those who struggle to believe of the everlasting love of Christ. How are we, as a people of the resurrection, carrying our wounds after the resurrection? Are we exposing our wounds to those who don't believe? Are we inviting them to explore the depth, not to show off our pain, but to allow them to meet God in them? Sometimes as we read the Gospel of John, chapter 20, we get so lost um, in Thomas's lack of faith that we forget the trauma he went through in seeing Jesus's crucifixion. It is a rather normal response despite of himself witnessing the many miracles and sights of Jesus, including the resurrection of Lazarus. The trauma Thomas and the other disciples experienced called for doubt. In their lack of understanding of Jesus' constant reminder that he would, be, he would no longer be with them, rather, that he would be, will not be with them much longer, as seeing the miracle worker Jesus not be able to work a miracle for himself. This brought Thomas to a very real doubt. Today, we have many people, in particular young adults and youth, who, like Thomas, have seen the body in action, making miracles happen, although maybe in a less mystical way and have heard all about the body of Christ and its redeeming love, but have been excluded from it due to their gender expression and identity. They doubt that the same church who proclaims a God of love can extend the love to them because they have witnessed firsthand the religious violence against LGBTQIA folks. They too say, until I place my finger in the nail and spear wound, 
then I'll believe it is indeed the body of the resurrected Christ. Because the church, the body, has hidden its wounds in an attempt to perform imperfection instead of resurrection. The body of Christ in the world showing its wounds bears witness to those wounds because the body's wounds, wounds that no longer sting, hurt, or bring excruciating pain, lets the sin against find a place of healing and restoration. A place that welcomes them into a community where healing happens not through our own doing, but through the Holy Spirit as we keep our eyes on the cross, making way towards resurrection. For when the world sees the wounds and the compassion and the love, the care and patience, they too will exclaim, my Lord and my God. Friends, God does not call us to be perfect. God does not call us to undermine our wounds, to hide them, to pretend it never happened. God, through Jesus, gives us a resurrection that acknowledges the wounds we bear, the pain that we once suffered, not as a reminder of that pain, but as witness of the transfiguration of those wounds into a celebrated victory over death. As Fook, Fook Lu mentions in his book, Jesus of the East, Christ's wounds portray a connection between God's involvement in creation and how God relates eternally. God's wounds show God's vulnerability to receiving harm or the sin against, and also the continual nature of God as one of love and vulnerability to abandonment. Because when Thomas sees the wounds, it is not the wounds that convince him but it is beyond the wounds. It is the reality of the power of God to transform those wounds into a victory over death. However, we cannot be the body of the resurrected Christ if we have not experienced resurrection ourselves, if the wounds have not been addressed, if they have not been given the chance to heal, then we will struggle to open our arms to those who are in need of healing. We too are invited to touch the wounds of Christ, for as we touch Christ's wounds, we touch our own. Bearing friends, God has opened doors to begin healing our wounds. As I read the gospel story, I kept thinking about the way this community wears witness in its wounds. How so often you have stand before church denomination leaders, before people who have scorched you in the name of a God that does not know love those who have nailed you to a cross in the name of obedience to misinterpret biblical text, those who have denied you of your place at the table. And as we began to walk towards healing, the wounds that once were the source of many questions Pastor Diane and I have received from young adults asking about their worth before God may now bring others to believe of the resurrection of Christ and come join the body to take their seat at the table, a place that has been prepared for them in mind. Our Acts scripture reminds us, <clears throat> excuse me, our Acts scripture states that the first communion, community of believers was of one mind and one heart. No one claimed anything as their own. They all shared what they had, and no one was needy. 
a respected community, it states. And the community lived in this way not because there was a rule set in place that prohibited them from owning their own property. They lived in this way because they genuinely, they genuinely care for each other. A community that not only addressed the economic need, needs of one another, but they also prayed for one another. They helped each other heal. They loved each other. In fact, love dictated their actions a spirit-filled community that was ready to bring to the group everything they had, their whole selves, with wounds and all, as a sign of love and communal well-being. A community like Bering, <clears throat> if, you like, if you ask me, as I have witnessed firsthand your generosity towards each other and those in desperate needs. Through the Burying Family Assistance Fund, you have helped more than 150 families who have struggled due to the pandemic economy. Also, I know that many have come together in prayer to hold each other as we all struggle in one way or another. I have also seen you fight tirelessly for inclusion in the United Methodist Church, even during a pandemic. Folks asking, what's next? What are we doing next? They fight that has lasted for 49 years. And it was through this community that people experienced the resurrected Christ. I truly believe that once burying breaks free, it will be like the precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. I strongly believe that forbearing to continue to be like the early community of believers, to continue bearing witness as the inclusive, loving body of Christ in the world, we must first acknowledge the wounds that are still open, the wounds that keep us from experiencing a resurrection. We cannot be one in heart and mind if a part of us is sacrificed in the name of denomination loyalty. How can this community be a place of mutual healing if it remains part of something that labels it incompatible with Christian teachings? As we head towards a future of healing, may our wounds heal but remain visible for the wounds will testify that oppressing, oppressing systems exist. They are very real, but will never have the last word, for Jesus defeats death and everything that takes away life. That is the really good news of the gospel. That is the good news of the resurrection. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and Sustainer, amen.